Jake, I just finished balancing the checkbook. There's $6 left in the account. How can that be? We just got paid last week. I don't want to talk about it. I'm busy. Well, we're going to talk about it. I, I've got to go buy groceries today. Well, I don't know what happened. Maybe it's a bank error. It's not a bank error, Jake. It's your error. You just had to go buy all this stuff, and as usual, you've gone way overboard. You can't just buy whatever you want without checking the budget first. Just get off my case, Judy. I can't deal with your nagging right now. Just use the credit card and go buy the groceries, all right? I can't. The card's maxed out. Then I'll sell one of my kidneys. Just get off my back. Fine. Moron. You're such a moron. Why do I get so angry? Judy, honey, I'm, I'm sorry. Dad, you ready to go? Go, go where? My game. You promised you'd come this time. Oh my gosh, Billy, I totally forgot. I was busy painting and I lost track of time. I have to be on the field in 15 minutes or the coach will bench me. Well, what do you want me to do? I can't just leave all this mess here. You haven't been to a game all season. Why should you start now? I promise, Billy, I'll be there next time. If you didn't want to go, why didn't you just say so? Billy, don't! With that kind of attitude, then why would I ever want to go? Billy, I didn't, I didn't mean that. Mom will take me. Sorry, Billy. Nothing I do is right. I can't even forgive myself. So why should he? Hey, Jake, how's it going? Greg, what happened to knocking? Since when does your brother have to knock? What are you doing here? Just saying hey before Billy's game, but it looks like you're not going. What is that supposed to mean, huh? Nothing, man. It's just an observation. Yeah, right. You don't ever just make observations. You don't think I'm a good dad, so just like always, you're going to come in here and try to play the hero. What is your problem, man? I just like watching my nephew play ball. I don't need you to step into my role. I'm his father. I never said you weren't. Jeez, Jake, get a grip. Greg, wait. Man, you are out of control. I got a game to catch. Look at this debt, this mess. My own son hates me.
I'm ashamed of me. I need to change. I don't want to be this anymore.
just can't cover it. That's the cry of a heart buried by shame, guilt, and failure. I run into folks all the time who live just like the character we saw in the sketch. They suffer from self-hate, from shame, and what breaks my heart and what breaks the heart of God is that they have no idea how much God loves them. They struggle under a weight and a burden of past sins and failures that's killing them. It's robbing them of their joy, and it's destroying their hope. And when I see someone like that, I know immediately that one of two things has happened. Either they have forgotten the grace of God, they have forgotten what that means, or they never experienced it, never knew what it meant in the first place. One of the things we all share in common in this room is that we have all failed. Every stinking one of us have blown it. We have not attained perfect. We've not lived a perfect life. Not one of us has always done the right thing in the right way with the right heart. Not one of us. And that's why the Bible accurately says in Romans 3.23 that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all share that simple truth in common. And here's another truth. Even after we become Christ's followers, we still blow it from time to time. How many of you love Jesus but you still sin? Let me see your hands. Come on, raise them high. Yeah, even after you give your life to him, you become a Christ follower. You've experienced that incredible gift of grace and mercy and the transformation that begins from the inside out. Now, we still stumble. We still fail. So here's a reality check. We have all sin, and we will all continue to wrestle with sin as long as we're in these bodies. And if that's true, and it is, then how can we live free from shame and guilt? If it's true that we're going to blow it, that we're going to mess up, then how can we get through even one day without being depressed and discouraged? How can we live free? How can we live with the reality of our own humanness and still find joy in this life? I think that's a really good question for us to consider. And what I want to do today is address the tragic fact that too many live consumed by guilt and by shame. Way too many. Rather than in the joy of God's grace and the peace that comes from his forgiveness. Now again, some in this room have never experienced that before. You have yet to embrace the forgiveness of God, and you have yet to experience that joy that comes from knowing that he paid the price for your sin and that you can live shame-free. But there's a whole lot of us in this room. We are Christ followers. We've given our lives to Christ. We have chosen him and know that he's chosen us, but we still live as if we're under a cloud of guilt and shame. We live behind a mask of grace, behind a mask of grace. We sing about it. We talk about it. We say we believe in God's mercy and his favor and his unmerited grace and goodness to us, but we still live trapped by our guilt and shame. And I know that's true because I see so many that really don't live with the kind of joy that we as Christ followers ought to have. Of all people on planet Earth, we ought to be the most joyful, incredibly happy people on the planet. Because we know we're forgiven. And yet too often I see just the opposite. And so how? How can we live a grace-filled life of freedom? That's what I want us to consider today. And here's the first truth. Number one, we need to accept the reality that you're not perfect. Accept the reality that you are not perfect. Now that statement really bothers some people. I tell you, it bothers people who are 
that live under the curse of perfectionism. And you know who you are. And I'm one of them. I'm with you. And some struggle. They believe that they just have to do better and attain more and, get, and, 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 and become perfect if they're ever going to really be accepted and loved for who they are. And so there's some who struggle with what I call the curse, and it is, the curse of perfectionism. And when I make the statement, accept the reality that you're not perfect, you don't want to hear that. That's the last thing you want to hear. Nope, I may not be yet, but I'm going to get there, is what you want to hear. Others, the self-righteous, this statement ticks them off. What do you mean I'm not perfect? Of course I am. But you see all the good I do and all the great things I accomplish, and and they have fooled themselves into thinking for some silly reason that they actually have reached the level of perfection. And so on the one hand, there's the people who struggle with the curse of perfectionism. They hate that statement. And those who think they've got themselves there already, and they hate it. But here's what happens. If you expect perfection, listen carefully. Here's what happens. On the one hand, you'll uh, either end up being miserable all the time because you're never going to make it. Or you're going to suffer from pride because you're constantly going to be patting yourself foolishly on the back. And neither of those things is what God wants for you. Here's what the Bible says, Proverbs 20, verse 9. Who can say, I have kept my heart pure and I am clean and without sin? And the answer is, nobody. No one can say that. Who can say, I have kept my heart pure, that I haven't blown it? Now, I know this may be shocking news for some of you, but let me just say it clearly. On this planet, at this time, in these earth suits, in these bodies, you are never going to reach perfection in this life. Some of you think about, doesn't God's word say... Be holy even as I am holy. Doesn't it say that we're to strive for, him, for perfection and that we're to work hard at becoming all that we can be in Christ? Yeah, of course it does. We are. It's a godly goal. It's an admirable goal. Pursue holiness. Please do not misunderstand what I'm saying. Yes, we want to try to please uh, the, the, what God has done for us and demonstrate what he's done for us in, the, in a lifestyle and the way we live. Of course we do. But don't beat yourself up when you stumble and fail because you are going to do so. Just grow through it. Grow through it. A long time ago, I was actually a certified USA track and field coach, and I coached high school track for quite a few years. And uh, I loved that. It was fun. It was a great experience in my life. But one of the events that's very difficult to coach is the hurdles. Now, pole vault and high jump are, are, are difficult as well. But the hurdles are a tough event to coach uh, people in. Especially uh, this one girl. I won't share her name with you because she's one of my Facebook friends. But she's about four foot nothing. And she wanted to run the hurdles. Now, the, the problem is when you're really short and the hurdles as high as you are, it's, not, it's more like the high jump than it is running. <laughs> but she had it. She was quite athletic. And she was convinced she could do this. And she wanted to be good at it. And so we tried. We taught her the technique. We showed her what to do and, and, and explained the, the form and what she had to do to run the hurdles. But almost every time she'd go out there, she'd trip the hurdles. She'd drop not just one, but most of them. And she'd get so frustrated. You know what I mean, drop trip. She, probably her tail leg would catch it, if not her fr- front leg, because she couldn't get over it in the first place, and would just drop that thing over. And it frustrated her to no end. And sometimes she gets so mad at herself, she'd just walk off. And just leave. In fact, I saw her in a race once get frustrated. And just leave. She's gone for the day. She suffered from the curse of perfectionism. I had this brainstorm. And I, I think maybe it might have even been a God idea. But I had this idea one day at practice. And after she had a miserable experience at a, a meet the week before, uh, that following Monday, I said, here's what I want you to do today. I want you to go out and I want you to trip every one of those things. Knock them all down. She looked at me like you're kind of looking at me sometimes. He's crazy. What's he thinking? That's the, that's, and she says, coach, that's going to slow me down. 
I didn't have the heart to tell her she wasn't going to be that fast anyhow. I said, it, I, I, don't worry about that. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out there and stop focusing on the hurdle. Focus on your form and finish the run. Finish. Go out there, work on form, and just trip every one of us. I want to see every one of them down before you finish. She went out, she did it. She came back, and she said, that was kind of fun. <laughs> but what began to happen to her is once she got free of being fixated on the fact that she wasn't going to be perfect, then she was able to enjoy the race, and then she actually got fairly decent at it, believe it or not. A lot of us are in the same boat. We have set the bar way too high. And let me just tell you, you're too short. <laughs> Spiritually speaking, of course. You're never going to get there. Until you accept that you're going to fail, then you're going to live a life of misery. Now, let me also insert this. I want to make this clear as well. I am not saying just go crazy and sin as much as you want. Don't interpret my admonition to her to trip the hurdles as, hey, yeah, just go trip up, sin as much as you want, have fun, it's no big deal. Of course it's a big deal. I already said, yes, we want to pursue holiness. Yes, we want to be more like Jesus. Yes, we want to grow. Yes, 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 yes. But the reality is, you in your pursuit of God, in your pursuit of, of him, in your race, running the race, you are going to stumble and fall. You're going to fail. You're going to miserably fail and sometimes in, on a regular basis blow it at least a little bit. We all do. And so I'm not saying go sin crazy. What I am saying is that God knows your human nature. He knows you, and he knows your limitations. And he wants you to walk with some reality, with some understanding. One of the things that I love, Psalms 103, and I'm going to read several parts of this psalm to you today. But Psalm 103, verse 13 and 14 says this, The Lord is like a father to his children. Now let me insert quickly, a good father. Some of you are thinking, I hope he's not like my old man. He's a good dad. He's a good father. The Lord is like a father, a good father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. And I love verse 14. Some of you need to write this down someplace and slap it on your mirror, on your refrigerator, wherever you live and spend most of your time, which for some of you is the refrigerator. You need to put this out there. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers that we are only dust. God knows how weak you are. And he remembers that you're just Flesh and blood, that you're dust. I love the way the King James says it, that we are but dust. <laughs> Why? I love it that we are human, and God gets that. For a long time, I viewed God the Father the way I viewed my dad. I saw him through the filter of my relationship with my own earthly father. And my dad was a perfectionist, and he demanded perfection. I mean, big time. And nothing short of excellence and perfection was acceptable to him. It was never enough. I could never do enough. And eventually, I got to the point where by about 13, I just gave up. That's what happens. It was fine. Bag it. And the only thing I got good at was hiding my imperfection, hiding my sin. I figured what my dad didn't know wouldn't hurt me. And so I just got really good at hiding my imperfections and, in fact, hiding my shame. Too many lived just like I did with a standard of perfection that sets them up for life of failure and shame. But what you need to hear today is our God is tender and compassionate. He gets you. He knows you. He knows that you struggle. And here's a powerful truism. You can't be good enough. I know. Hard to hear. You cannot be good enough. But here's the good news. You don't have to be. To be loved and forgiven, you don't have to be. Which takes me to point number two. Remember that you are loved for who you are, not for what you do. Remember you are loved for who you are, not 
for what you do. You see, because of Jesus, and those are the three most important words, because of Jesus, you and I are not ultimately defined by what we've done or what we do, but by who we belong to. We're not defined. Your identity is not wrapped up in what you have done or what you're even doing, but in who you belong to. God doesn't love me because I'm good enough. He loves me because he's good enough. I, I, that's a really good point for it. Thank you, God. Amen. Something. Yeah. God doesn't love me because I'm good enough. He doesn't love you because you're good enough. He loves you because he is good enough. And so we can live loved and we can live forgiven. We can know him. In fact, in Romans 5, 6 to 8, it says this. You see, at just the right time. And listen for some key words here. When you were still, still powerless, Christ died for, here's another key word, the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. Verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, far from him, Christ died for us. This means that long before you and I even acknowledged his existence, let alone his love, Jesus died for us. The key words, powerless, ungodly, still sinners. That defines and describes what we were, who we were before we came into relationship with him. And the fact of the matter is the Bible says God loved you nonetheless. God's love for you is not based on your performance. It never has been. It never will be. Are you listening? God's love for you is not based on your performance. It never has been and it never will be. Too many find it difficult to accept that the past is past. And that's why they truly can't live free from it. I have a friend, her name's Diane. I haven't talked with her in, I don't know, 10, 15 years. But a long time ago, um, she and I got to know each other. And I got to know her story. And I was always so moved by it. You see, when she was a teenager, not once but twice, once at 17 and once at 19, she had an abortion, two abortions in her life before she became a Christian. Now, when she gave her life to Christ, she believed, she accepted the fact that she was forgiven, that God had forgiven her for all her sins. But she lived for a long, long time under the cloud of guilt and shame for the abortions that she'd had. She always saw herself as Diane, a Christ follower, dot, 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 with a secret shame, the secret shame of abortion. She was in her mid-30s. And she was at a women's conference, and I don't remember the speaker, but she's at this conference, and the, women, the woman that was sharing shared her story and how she had had an abortion and how God had forgiven her and set her free. And as she listened to this woman's story, a light went on. I mean, it's the God, the Holy Spirit, that sometimes just illuminates something. Finally, she got it, that God loves me not for what I've done, not for the sins, but he loves me for who I am in him, that he loves me. She saw that she wasn't, Diane slash shameful because of her past, Diane, a daughter of the king. Now, you and I will probably never forget what we've done. She never forgot. But who we belong to is what matters. And if you're a Christ follower, listen, you belong to him. You belong to him. And when we come to him, we are just washed like this tidal wave of his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness washes us clean. And he chooses to forgive us and to remove our sins as far as the east is from the west. Let me read another passage from Psalm 103, verse 8 to 12. It says, The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, 
and filled with unfailing love. Not conditional love, not temporary love, not love based on your performance. Unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. Verse 11, for his, here it is again, unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Let those words sink in. He removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. If I'm going east, when am I going to end up going west? Yep, never. <laughs> I'm, as long as I'm going east, I'm all, it, it's, he separated them from us, removed them from us. The very word grace means unmerited favor, his unmerited love and goodness to us. And a massive, a massive, huge part of that is that he's removed our sins. He's so good that he's separated them from us forever. I'll hit a bit more on this in just a moment, but here's what I want you to get. Never forget this truth. Never forget this. You are loved for who you are, not for what you do. You are loved for who you are in him, not for what you do. Does that mean what you do is unimportant? No. But when you get this truth, when you understand your love for who you are and that nothing is going to ever separate you from that love, that it's an unfailing love, then the response of a heart that gets that is, oh, God, I want to be more like you. Oh, God, I want to do things that honor what you've done for me. When we live in this world of perfection and we're trying to attain it on our own because we think we have to earn it from God and we fail, we live under this cloud of guilt and shame and misery because we never get there. But when we understand that God loves us just the way we are and he is committed to that, it's an unfailing love, then the response of our hearts to that kind of love is, oh God, thank you. And because of that love, I want to honor you. I want to serve you. I want to give up my all because you've given your all for me. Do you see the difference? Rather than this curse, rather than this misery, rather than this joyless existence, we come to God and say, God, I know right now that I failed, I blew it, I was an idiot, but I know you love me. And so I come to you in that love, and I respond to that love, wanting to be more like you. Never forget he loves you for who you are, not for what you've done. Here's the next thing, number three. Here's the next thing to help you live a grace-filled life of freedom. Become an expert at confession and repentance. This will help you. You are loved no matter what, absolutely, period, no question about it. But if you want to better experience that love, then when you fail, run to him rather than from him. The fact is, the truth is, I'm loved no matter what. But for me to experience that love, to know that love, to encounter that love, I need to run to him, not from him. Those who think they can keep their sins secret and hidden from God usually distance themselves from him. And what God wants us to do is run to him. I've always loved my children, my four kids. I have loved them. I love my grandchildren, three and another one on the way. And I love them when they're good, and I love them when they're not so good. I love them when they're just downright bad. And I'm an imperfect father. I, I love my kids no matter what. But when they blow it and they come to me, humility and in honesty and truly sorry to daddy I'm sorry the response of my heart to them is love and it's in that moment that they realize wow dad loves me even when I'm an idiot dad loves me even when I mess up 
And again, I'm an imperfect father. And here's another, by the way, they even get to experience my love in discipline. That's a whole other topic we don't have time to go to. Hebrews chapter 12 deals with that. Though, those whom the Father loves, he disciplines. In love, we discipline even. We, we want to help them become all that they can be. And my children have known that even when they're imperfect, when they fail, and even when I discipline, they always know, Daddy loves us. Daddy loves me. And if that's true of me and my human ability as a father, how much more true is that of God? What God says is, come to me. And one of the ways that he has given us that helps us deal with this on a, this level on a relational level. One of the ways that we learn to, to confess is we, and, and to repent is that we do it with each other. James 5, 16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, Here's what really is important for you to understand. Confess your sins. Don't hide them. Don't cloak them. Don't run from, from them. Embrace them. Own it. And he says, Confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. Here's what he's saying. I'll paraphrase it. Wholeness is found in openness. Wholeness is found in openness. As I confess my sin, you know what? I, have, I blew, it, blew, it, blew it again. I, I messed up again. Would you pray for me? Would you love me? It's there that we experience the healing and the love of God. You know, I mentioned last week that uh, if I'm anything, I'm a good repenter. And when I said that last Sunday, some of you giggled. And I, I was very serious, though. <laughs> I really am. I'm a good repenter. I... Don't always do the right thing. My thoughts are not always his thoughts. My words are not always God's words. I've been known to use some potty language from time to time. I won't give you examples. You know what I mean. I do. Sometimes I... I some, my actions all too frequently don't reflect my identity, who I am in Christ. And if that bothers you that you've got a pastor like that, well, there's the door. And good luck finding the perfect pastor. And when you do, let me know because I'll go be with you guys. But because... It's the, it's the human condition. We're all there. But see, that's not the end of the story. Remember, we are secure in the love of God. And because of his mercy and his grace, it covers all our sin. And so because of that, we can run to him rather than from him. We can come to our Father, no matter what we've done or how many times we've done it. Some, we have this idea, some of us, like, well, I think God's good for like 99 times. But 100, I don't oh, boy. We think that somehow God's got this limit, but it's unfailing, unconditional, unlimited love and grace and mercy for us. Yeah, I'm growing and I'm changing. I'm moving forward, becoming more of who I truly am in Christ. But it is not without some stumbling and failure along the way. And here's the thing. I want you guys to understand this. The, the secret to living in joy is to just deal with it, confess it. The reason why I don't have a problem telling you guys I'm not perfect is because there's a freedom that comes with that. If I have to pretend to be perfect, do you think I'm going to be a very happy guy? Go like this. No, of course I won't be. Neither are you. There's joy. Our unconfessed sin, all it brings about in us is this insecurity. We, what if they find out? If they really know me? What if, and we, we live in that insecure place. And too many who live behind the mask of grace live as pardoned slaves rather than forgiven sons and daughters of God. And so instead of the walk of shame, Instead of living there and staying there, we can boldly come to his throne of grace when we fail. We can boldly come to him and confess our sins and find his mercy and grace. Where did I get such a crazy idea? Well, let me read you Hebrews 4, verse 15 and 16. One of my most favorite passages in the book of Hebrews, if not in the entire New Testament. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. That's another, part, another way of, of the Bible saying God gets us. 
Jesus understands us. But we have one who has been tempted in every way. It's referring to Jesus, and the scripture says he's been there. Oh, I don't know if he's ever, he's been tempted the same way you have. Just as we are, and yet the difference between Jesus and us is he did not have sin. But here's the answer, verse 16. I love this. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Let's run to him. Let's approach the throne of grace. We, we, we think throne and we think scary. God big, me small. God good, me bad. And we just, we get all freaked. And yet the word here is let's approach the throne of grace with confidence, with boldness. Now, it's not self-confidence, look at how good I am, because that's not it at all. It's God-confidence. I can come to him knowing that no matter what, no matter what, no matter what I've done, I can come to him and know that he's always going to embrace me, always going to love me, always going to offer me. He says, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Too often we run from God. We try to hide our sin. We try to live with unconfessed guilt and shame in our life when just the opposite is the very best, the absolute best thing we can do. God, here I am again. And you know what? God's never going to say, weren't you here yesterday at the same time? <laughs> no. Always going to welcome you. How do you live a graceful life of, of freedom? Become really good at confession and repentance. So here's one more, number four. How do you live a graceful life of freedom? Live forgiven. Live forgiven. Too many struggle believing that God has truly forgiven them. They struggle believing that. They wrestle to accept this truth because there's this part of them, maybe a huge part of them that thinks it's just, it's just too easy. They don't believe that they really deserve to be forgiven and so they have a hard time embracing and living in the freedom of forgiveness. But here's the problem. If forgiveness is offered only to those who deserve it, then we're all doomed. If forgiveness is only offered to those who deserve it, then we're all in trouble because none of us do. And again, we hear that. We go, yeah, 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 I get it. All right, fine. But the sick, twisted, self-loathing part of us still thinks that the only way to be free of our past is somehow we have to suffer for it. And you say, what were you? I talked to, I have talked to thousands over the last 35 years who struggle with this. They, they, and, and, and they may not even be able to verbalize it, but they have this thinking. I just, I, I know God's good, and I, I know he forgives me, but surely I have to suffer too. Surely there must be something that I have to do. I've got to somehow compliment what God's done by suffering alongside him. I want you to understand, though, that there's no amount of Hail Marys or penance you can pay. There's no amount of work that you can do that's going to absolve you of your sin. And they, I get that from the scriptures. It says Christ paid the penalty for us in full. Notice here what it says in John, verse, 1 John 2.12. John says, I'm writing to you as God's children. That would be you if you're a Christ follower. I'm writing to you as God's children because your sins, listen carefully to these words, have been forgiven through Jesus. I'm writing to you because of who you are, your identity, because of who you are in Christ. And I'm writing to those who have been forgiven through Jesus. Notice he didn't say might be forgiven if they work really hard. He didn't say, well, we'll be forgiven if, you know, at the end of their life, the good balances out with the bad. No. He says, I write to those who have been forgiven. And he didn't say that we're forgiven because of what we do. Notice that here as well. But because of what Jesus did, he says, through 
Jesus. Two words that change everything. It's through him, through Jesus. Earlier I quoted Romans 3, 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if you've been a Christian any length of time, you probably have heard that verse hundreds of times. You probably have it memorized. And uh, it is a truth. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. But guys, I want you to see something today that ought to just rock your world. That sentence doesn't end there with a period. Wouldn't it be really depressing if that was the, it, the end? You've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Period. Uh-uh. You check it out in your Bible, but here's what it says. It's a comma. Verse 24 is the rest of that sentence. And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. All sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but the story doesn't end there. We are justified. That means made as if we've never sinned, just as if we've never sinned. Justified freely by God's grace. Through, here it is again, not through how hard we've worked, all the good stuff we've done, but through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Through our relationship with him, he paid the penalty in full, and we can experience full, complete forgiveness. We cannot stop at sin or fall in glory. We cannot put a period where God has put a comma. We must move on to grace. There's another verse known by many, Romans 6.23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. And again, we read that, we go, yeah, I know, and I so deserve death, and I'm just a miserable worm. And, but it doesn't end there either. The rest of that verse is, but the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Too often we fixate on sin. We fixate on death and all that we think we deserve for blowing it and being idiots. And no wonder we find it hard to accept that God truly has forgiven us. No wonder we find it hard to forgive ourselves. We're thinking punishment. God is thinking Christmas. We're thinking, you know, I deserve to just be whacked around by God. And God say, no, let's party. Let's celebrate. I've got great news for you. It's Christmas. I've got a free gift from you. He says, I know all about you, what you've done. Just come to me and receive my indescribable, indescribable gift. Amazing gift of grace and forgiveness. And the completeness, the fullness of that gift, don't miss this, is that not only does he completely forgive you, but you can completely forgive yourself. You can live free. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Let me put that in a modern way. Because of God's great love, we're not eaten up, gobbled up, spit out. We're not blasted. We're not blown up. We're not destroyed because of God's great love. We are not consumed for his compassions. And here it is one more time. His compassions never fail. Never fail. And verse 23 says, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You can get up tomorrow morning and it doesn't matter that you blew it today. And I'm sure most of you already have. Or you will before the day is over. In some way, you'll think something you shouldn't think. You'll say something you shouldn't say. You'll not do something you should do, but you can wake up tomorrow, and it's a brand new day. God never says tomorrow morning when you get up, say, good morning, Lord. Yeah, well, it might be good for you. <laughs> Let's talk about what you did in the last 24 hours. doesn't happen. They're new every morning because he's faithful. If we refuse to believe that we can and that God can and will forgive us, well, if we refuse to forgive ourselves, we are essentially saying that God's grace 
is just not quite enough. I just, it's good. Thanks, God. Good job. Two thumbs up, God. But if we refuse to receive that gift or to forgive ourselves, then what we're really saying in essence is, yeah, it's just not quite enough, God. And I'm begging you today. I am pleading with you. Pleading. Please don't value your opinion more than God's. Please do not value what you think more than what God thinks. Don't talk about grace, sing about grace without walking and living and soaking up every ounce of grace every day that God has for you. And for some of you, that means you're going to have to learn to stop listening to a self-voice. I prayed with a woman after the first service, and for a long time, she's listened to the self-voice. You failed, you're miserable, you don't deserve God's love. And she's had that self-voice, those tapes playing over and over and over again. And I told her, I'm telling you, you've got to stop, you've got to press the stop button on that and learn to play the truth. That there's no condemnation. Romans 8, some of you need to camp out there this week. Because it talks about how we can't be separate from God's love. But it begins with this. Now there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. None. Zip. Nada. Nothing. You've got to worry about no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Stop listening to self-voice. And if that's not bad enough, there's another voice. It's the voice of the enemy. The Bible, by the way, calls him the accuser. Calls Satan the liar. And he's constantly accusing you. Man, you really, you know, God... How many times are you going to come to God and think he's just going to look the other way? He doesn't look the other way. He looks at the cross. But we got to stop that voice, either the self-voice or the voice of the enemy, and listen to the truth of God's word. You're his. You belong to him. You are forgiven. And all your sins, listen to me, all your sins, past, present, and future, are under the cross. They're forgiven. I want to put it this way, and I'll finish. I was thinking this morning, how can I give you a picture? Well, when you fly with God and you've reached your destination, you're never going to have any of your past sin and baggage claim. Never going to be there. Or when you bank on God, you're never going to get an overdraft notice. Don't those suck? Never going to have that happen. God's never going to, man, you were doing good right up to this point. Never going to happen. When you walk in forgiveness, you live free. When you walk in relationship with him, you can live free. Let me pray for you. Bow your heads. Father, I know that this truth is powerful. I know it can radically revolutionize our lives when we understand your grace. Some of us, Lord, we've been walking with you for a long time, and we've heard grace messages a hundred times, a thousand times, and yet we still don't completely understand how good you are. And we still beat ourselves up. We still live with shame and guilt. We still live with unconfessed sin. We still try to hide. We, we're really good at finding fig leaves to hide behind, Lord, because we just we think we, we don't... We don't want anybody to see. We don't want you to see. And the truth is, Lord, you see it all, you know it all, and you love us nonetheless. And all you ask of us is that we just would run to you and come to you and find mercy and grace to help us in our need. Lord, there are some here this morning, and they've not yet even once experienced your grace and your forgiveness in their life. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you show them how good you are, how good God is, how much he loves them. Turn something on in their understanding, in their, their, their mind, in their hearts, that in this moment right here, right now, they finally understand that it's about you and what you've done and that they can know freedom. They can know the forgiveness of a father who loves them. In fact, would you keep your head bowed and your eyes closed? And if that's you today, 
and you're here and for the first time, or maybe you've been gone from God for a while and you're the, the prodigal son or daughter, I want you to know something. God brought you here today to hear this truth. He loves you. He's always loved you, no matter what, he's going to love you. But he wants to be in relationship with you. He wants you to know forgiveness, to know his grace, to experience that, and to begin a walk with him. And I'm, I'm going to pray a very simple prayer right now. And if this is your moment, you know, man, it's time for me to, to choose God, to choose him, to give my life, to surrender my life to him, to experience that grace. You, and you want to know that joy and you want to know the freedom that comes forgiveness, then would you make this simple prayer yours right now, just in your own way, as I pray these words, say, God, yep, that's me, that's what I want. Make this prayer yours. Father, I have sin. I, I can't even begin to imagine how you love me. I know all that I've done. I've seen all of my failure. I, I, I've tried to hide it. I've tried to put on the mask of perfection. I, there's so many things I've tried to do on my own. In this moment right here, right now, I realize I desperately need you. I desperately need you. I need your free gift of salvation, your free gift of forgiveness. I need your grace in my life. And so right here, right now, I surrender my life to you. I'm not entirely sure all that that's going to entail, but I know this. I need you. I want you. And so I choose you, and thank you for choosing me. And so I embrace you, Jesus, as my Savior today, as my Savior, the one who paid my debt in full. Thank you. Now, if that's you, just in your own way, say, yeah, God, that's me. That's what I want. In that moment you do, you become a child. He, he does something in your heart, in you, that is a mystery. It goes way beyond human comprehension in some ways, but it is God's work in you by his Spirit that brings you into relationship with him. You are now his child. Lord, thank you for those that have made that choice today. Show them what that means. Show them what you're going to do. And help them leave this place knowing from this moment on, it's all about who they belong to and they belong to you. Thank you, Father. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Often we finish with a song at the end of the service that we sing together. I'm going to ask you to do something a little different today. Remain seated. And Joan the band is going to sing a, a, one of my favorite songs. And I want you to listen to these words. If you want to join, if you know the song and the chorus, you feel free to sing, but the words will be on the screen. But I want you to let these words go deep because these words are true now. If you begin your life today as a Christ follower, they're true for the first time for you, and they're true for all of us who have given our lives to him. The ushers are going to come. We're going to give because we love his goodness and his grace in our life. So let's give as we listen to this, and I'll come back up. And wrap, wrap. You know, most of my life, until the time I was about 28, 29, my mental image of God was always like this. He had his arms crossed and a scowl on his face. And I really, I mean, that's the way I always thought God was with me. Kurt, Bubna, you are such an idiot. And I really never understood that the way God actually is toward me until I became about 28, 29 years old was, this is his posture. Come, I love you. Yep, I know you blew it. Come, come to me, run to me. Run into my sweet embrace. That's the image I want you to have of God today. Let's stand together. If you need prayer, prayer team will be down front. There's communion on both sides of the room. If you began your life today as a Christ follower, tell somebody. And on the tables out uh, by the doors, there's a package that's for new Christians. Pick one of those up. We want to walk with you in the beginning of a great journey of uh, being a Christ follower. So let us know and pick one of those up. Sign up for SOS out in the, out the uh, lobby if you'd like to. Next Sunday, bring your cool bikes, your cool cars, and an appetite for some hot dogs. God bless you guys. Have a great week walking with Jesus. Thanks for coming.